When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Ed Randall, and you're listening to Baseball and Barbecue. This is Greg Lazinski, and you're listening to Baseball BBQ. Hi, this is Gary Mack of the Mets Musings Podcast, and you're listening to Jeff and Len on Baseball and Barbecue, one of my favorite podcasts, and I know it's one of yours, too. The only problem is, after I get done listening to it, I'm hungry. All right, guys, take it away. Welcome to Baseball and Barbecue, episode number 61. We are the podcast which helps you with one of life's major, major decisions. Should I listen to a baseball podcast or should I listen to a barbecue podcast? With us, you don't need to decide. I'm Leonard Aberman. I'm Jeff Cohen. I was going to call you my magnanimous host, Jeff Cohen. Go ahead. (laughs) <laughs> I'm joined by my magnanimous co-host. <laughs> Thank you very much, Lenny. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, you de- were you doing Elvis? Thank you very much. Yes. That's very good. We couldn't be more excited to be with you. Yes, many of you, we are stuck at home, thus the opening music. But you know what? If you're going to be stuck with us, if we're going to be stuck at home, let's let's do it right. So let's bring you a triple play, right, Jeff? What what's one of the play. most exciting plays in baseball? A, a triple play? It's a tiny defensive play. One of the best offensive plays is a triple. It's more exciting than a home run, right? You run a leg out of triple. You don't see a lot of triples these days. No, right? they 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 really decrease over the years. Yes, we're going to start the show with none other than Brett Topel. Woohoo, Jeff! Why don't you? Tell us quickly, uh, well, you know what, as we get to each one, we'll, we'll introduce them. And we're going to have Brett Topel, followed by Ray Sheehan, followed by Dave Dresser and Shel Krakowski. That, now yes. that's a triple play. Yes. Any way you look at it, that is going to be a triple play. I don't think there's much that we should really do as far as talking. Do you? Well, I can tell you, if you want to reach the show... Give us a call, 516-855-8214. Email us, baseballandbbq at gmail.com. Leave a comment on our Facebook page. Tweet us, we're at baseballandbbq. 
We have Instagram. It's Baseball and Barbecue, where barbecue's all spelled out. Check us out on our YouTube page, Baseball and BBQ. And, of course, our website where all our other episodes are located, www.baseballandbbq.weebly.com. And you know what? I'm going to contradict myself. I just said we really shouldn't do much talking. But we do have to mention some of our past episodes, especially the episode that we put out as a bonus last week. Right. Darren Heitner. Yes. If you haven't heard Darren Heitner's interview and you're a big baseball fan, you really should. That's that's a great episode. Timely, relevant, talked a lot about what's going on now with the current state of baseball not being played, his thoughts on what's going to happen with the season, if a season even happens. What do you think of that, Jeff? Yeah, I totally agree. It was very rare we get a distinguished sports attorney, mm-hmm. one of the best. He told us our thoughts. He, he knows the business. He knows what goes on being an attorney for, for athletes, and, age, and he was, used to be an agent. So right. He knows what's going on. So, yeah, definitely right. check out episode 60 if you have not. Also, check out episode 59 because we had none other than Russ Salzberg and John McGuire. That for anyone who doesn't know, Russ Salzberg has been a staple in sports in the uh, tri-state area, in our tri-state area, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, for 30 years. Had stories to tell that were terrific. Had a great relationship, a very special relationship with Yogi Berra, my favorite Yankee. And the, the stories that he told and how genuine he is as a person, it was really was really great interview. And then, of course, John McGuire, Johnny Mags, has his own podcast, Pit Life Barbecue, and he was a great guy to talk to. So we, if you haven't heard prior episodes, you should go back and listen to them. Speaking of great guys, let's why don't we start off with our friend, Brett Topel. Our guest is making his triumphant return as he was our guest in episode 17. He seems to have the Midas touch as the books he writes are fantastic. And now his latest project, BT Talks Baseball, is wonderful to watch. His books, When Shea Was Home, the story of the 1975 Mets, Yankees, Giants, and Jets, Miracle Moments in New York Mets History, So You Think You're a New York Mets Fan, and Simply the Best, the story of the 1921, 1929 to 1931 Philadelphia Athletics, are all incredible reads. His newest project, BT Talks Baseball is only four episodes in, but you can tell it will be a success. We are so glad to welcome Brett Topel back to Baseball and Barbecue. Welcome, Brett. Len and Jeff, thank you so much for having me back. It's a pleasure to be here. You started this great video series of yours called BT Talk Baseball back on, looks like March 27th with your first guest, John Malik. What was the epitus to start this this video thing you got going yeah absolutely first of all i can't thank you guys enough for having me on to talk about bt talks baseball and i think yeah i'm sure as you guys both were feeling the same way you know that was right around when it's supposed to be opening day weekend and uh mm-hmm. there was no baseball uh to be had and you know i was just trying to think of a way to to keep baseball relevant and and certainly you know, I was missing baseball. I knew I was going to be missing baseball. And 
I've always kind of had this this little dream of having some sort of a baseball video podcast or call it what you'd like. And, you know, I figured this time right now is a, as good a time as any because all we really have is time. So it, it started as an idea and I, I, I set out to do a couple of them. And uh, I wasn't sure initially if I was going to do it once a week, a couple of times a week. And it was suggested to me to do it once a week. And uh, so I decided to, to launch it on what would have been the first Friday of baseball. And like you said, we're, we're, we're four weeks in. This week is going to be the fifth. And uh, I have at least uh, 12 to 13 already, you know, lined up or taped. So I'm, I'm very excited about it. Great. I mean, yeah, I, you- I really enjoy them. Uh, it's very, very great to hear these uh, all-time players and you have great introductions. It's just uh, very fun to watch. You've had John Matlack, episode one. Frank Catalana. I butcher this name. Catalanato. I can't say it. Episode two, and Marty Appel on three, Edgardo Alfonso four. And not only have you had them, but you also had intros from Fred McGriff, the crime dog, Dwight Doc Gooden, Kenny Albert. What, what do you have, these people on speed dial? <laughs> well, you know, the, the great thing about doing a, uh, a, a podcast or anything like this uh, when nobody can leave their house is they can't really duck my calls. So it's, it's, uh, it's nice, actually. You know, I've been very fortunate. You know, I, I really, it was very important to me that I started this with John Matlack for a number of reasons. You know, John, I've interviewed John for uh, uh, several of my books, including a uh, a book project that I'm, I'm working on now, which we haven't even discussed yet, but we certainly could. And John, to me, is the consummate Mets fan dream. He, he was a great player, of course, 1972 Rookie of the Year, played on the 73 National League Championship team. But more important than that, he, oh, and by the way, I think he's one of the most underrated pitchers uh, in Mets history. But more important, than that, more important than that, he's really just one of the greatest guys that I've come across in the game. He is very generous with his time, could not be nicer. So for me, it was, it was personally important to have him be my, my first guest. And I wasn't really sure where this, where this was going to go. I, like I said, I did a few of them. Frank Catalanato is somebody I've known for a long time. I, I spoke to him a couple of days after he was drafted uh, out of high school. And that was, you know, in 1992. And, you know, Marty Appel, I interviewed for my, my Shea book. So I went to some contacts that I had. And uh, I have to tell you, it's, it's, it's kind of blossomed. I have a, some really exciting upcoming guests, which, who I'm sure we'll talk about uh, yes. moving, you know, on this episode. But it's, it's been a lot of fun so far. That's, that's you know, great. Go ahead, Brian. I was going to say, you're making it very easy. So you mentioned a book, so I'm going to definitely ask you about this project. And then you mentioned upcoming guests, so that'll be next. So I could just rip up these questions because basically <laughs> you're leading me into everything. <laughs> and and Jeff, well, I can't uh, pronounce. I'm just trying name. to make your job easy. <laughs> I can't pronounce his name. I'm like the Mad Dog of this show. <laughs> yeah, I can't do Mad Dog, but I, with the mispronunciation. All right, so Brett, tell us about the book. Tell us about the upcoming book. Sure. So the book is uh, actually this is nobody knows about this book. I have not uh, posted anything about this book. I've but uh, the contract, the contract is signed, so I, I, I can't tell you. So. I always wanted to do something featuring top players in Mets history. And there's there's some great books out there about this. But I was also always fascinated with the concept of the the whole Mount Rushmore of franchises. But with the the belief and the understanding that 
you know, the top four players that I feel might not be the top four players that my father feels or my grandfather feels or my son feels. So I really wanted to do, write a book about Mets Mount Rushmore by decade. So I pitched that to my publisher and we went back and forth for a number of days and weeks. And he loved the idea. We loved the idea right away. We went back and forth for a number of days and weeks just negotiating. But he liked the idea. He actually liked it as a, as a series idea, actually, because this could apply to, to all teams. It's, I mean, you know, the Mets have been around only since, only since 1962. Of course, that's, you know, more than one generation at this point. But like a team like the Yankees or the Cardinals, or, you know, it's impossible to pick four people. Nobody passed you know, Mickey Mantle can get on there. So I think that it, it would not unlike my Miracle Moments book, which, you know, I picked the 31 top moments or what I felt was the top moments in team history. You know, this book will be part history book and part argument starter for Mets fans, because perhaps the, the who I picked as the four best players in the, say, the 70s or the 80s or the 90s or whatever might not be your four top Mets. So and there's going to be little little twists and turns within the chapters. We're going to have the, you know, I don't want to give away everything, but I will tell you that we're not only going to talk about the, I'm not only going to talk about the four best players of each decade, I may talk about some trade busts. And I may talk about the prospects that never were. So, you know, you, you're, you guys are very well aware of my other books. It's going to be written in that same sort of narrative style. I, I, I write books the way I hope and think people want to read them just a, a nice conversational story and, and I, i'm a storyteller and so my my key with this book is to interview as many people as i can who you know are relevant for this whether they were on the mount rushmore or you know whether it's somebody like uh you know sean green who played for the mets and you know played with some of these players who are on the mount rushmore and if i can as long as i have them for the book they are now I'm luring them into BT Talks Baseball. All right. <laughs> I'm double dipping. Right. When, uh, when do you expect the book to come out? Times, time has changed, right? So uh, we've been uh, on the same day for about the last five weeks, right? <laughs> right. Um, it, it, the way it was originally planned and the way I'm still hoping it will be planned is that it will be out in time for opening day of 2021 which is hopefully not the next time we see baseball, but it, uh, that is the initial plan. So I am going to have to, to uh, take a break from uh, all my BT Talks baseball filming and actually do some writing, but I am excited about the project. Yeah, we'll see, uh, we'll see where it leads. All right, Len, I think we have an, a guest for next March or April. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. And okay. Jeff, you could write the intro. Yes. <laughs> Brett, Brett, getting back to the video series, BT Talks Baseball, the first four episodes was, was kind of New York-centric. Is that going to be the, the, the style it's going to be, New York-centric, or is it going to have other players from other teams? Well, that's a great question. And, and, and one thing I, I neglected to say, and I know you guys know it from watching, is you know what was important to me is that these were very quick watches, you know, uh, yes. for lack of a better term. You know, they, they don't go more than seven minutes, give or take. And, you know, there's, there's a few, few different segments uh, within each episode. They all start with a baseball segment, interviewing a player or an executive. And I really wanted to focus, for the most part, on a specific moment in a player's career. Like John Matlack, I could have talked to for four hours and have in the past. But we just talked about his appearance uh, in the 75 All-Star Game. Frank Calinato, we just – see, I could say the name. Don't I'm sorry. You should never insult your host. Um, we, just, uh, into, we just talked about his 6-for-6 six six game when he was with the Blue Jays. So I, I, I'm trying to 
to talk about specific moments. But to answer your question more directly, yes, the first few episodes were New York-centric. I can tell you we're going to be taking a turn. This week's guest uh, is going to be John Lieber, who pitched for a bunch of teams, but I'm going to be talking to him about the, the year he won 20 games for the Chicago Cubs. I have Jeff Blum, who hit a very, very key home run uh, for the White Sox in the 2005 World Series, and they put a statue up outside the stadium to commemorate it. I have interviews coming up with players like Glendon Rush, who did play for the Mets, and uh, Mickey Morandini. I also have some surprises. I'm going to go stray a little bit from baseball, but talk about baseball. They'll all be somehow related to baseball, but I have some actors and some comedians, and I'm really going to try to mix it up a little bit to keep it interesting. I, 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 don't, I never wanted it to be, despite my, my fandom, I never wanted it to be a Mets video po- podcast. I didn't want it to be that, that narrow, although every episode you could see behind me where, you know, where I film, there's a picture of Todd Pratt rounding the bases after the home run. There's a celebration of the 86 Mets, and there's a photo of me and Gary Carter from years and years ago. So uh, I'm certainly not uh, – hiding from the fact that I'm a Mets fan, but I didn't want this and I don't want this to be a Mets podcast. Although, you know, if it gravitates towards Mets and Yankees, that'll just be a, a natural pull for me. So Jeff Blum gets a statue outside of Chicago Stadium for hitting a home run. We have to wait over 50 years for Tom Seaver to get a statue. Could you explain that? Ooh. Yeah, I, I, I can't explain that, but I, I, I want to stay in the good graces of the Mets management for now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he needs he needs to do that. Brett, for, first of all, for anyone that hasn't seen it, your BT Talks Baseball, it's on YouTube. It's fantastic. It really is. It's quick. I mean, it. they are. They're, I was surprised how fast they are. You have something on there that I had to watch every episode just to see this. You have Waiting for Perlman. Would you like to explain that? Because that, I love it. I love that. Yeah, so, <laughs> it, you know, orig- when I was originally coming up with the concept, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do, quite frankly, other than talk to baseball players. And I wasn't even sure how successful that was going to be. So I wanted there to be some element of music. And I was talking to a, a very good friend of mine, Elizabeth Glennon, who is a cellist. And uh, she's, she teaches cello. She's a, a performer. And I said, you know what? I, want, I would love if you... Would, would record uh, a version of Take Me Out to the Ball Game on your cello so I could use it as my intro. I said, I don't, I've never heard a baseball podcast with a cello in, you know, introduction. And that, that way I could say I have my own cellist, which I, which I love. So, you know, I have always been, so, so the music element was, was there and the strings element. And I've always been a huge admirer of Itzhak Perlman and coincidentally was supposed to see him perform for the first time. I've wanted to see him my entire life supposed to see him in early April. Of course, that didn't happen. So I said, you know what? I need to somehow get Itzhak Perlman on my show. He's played. He's a big Mets fan. He's a big baseball fan. He's played the National Anthem a number of times. How can I do this? And I don't even know why it came to me, but the movie Waiting for Guffman, which if you're familiar with, is a Christopher Guest uh, movie. Uh, he's got a bunch of them, like Best in Show, Spinal Tap, and Waiting for Guffman is one of them. He's got a few more also. And they're kind of like these uh, mockumentaries or farcical. It's hard to explain, I guess. I don't know what the genre is, but the comedies. And the whole point of the movie was that this small town was putting on a, a play and they were waiting for this big-time Broadway producer, Mort Guffman, to show up, so called Waiting for Guffman. So I said, ah, you know what? It would be kind of fun if, we just, if I do that with Itzhak Perlman. 
so I, that's kind of the story I tell on the first episode. And unfortunately, if you haven't seen the first episode, you might not know what's going on, but I, I do try every <laughs> once in a while to, to repeat why I'm doing it, but I, I don't want to repeat the, the waiting for Guffman each time. And then I just started coming up with the ideas just kind of expounded upon themselves. And, and, and I, I thought it was funny. I actually, you know, enlisted some help as, as I'm sure, you know, by, uh, I brought a friend of mine who is also a, a, a big um, Perlman uh, admirer. And I, I have to say that I'm having so much fun doing it that although I would love him to come on, uh, it, would, it would kind of ruin the vibe, right? I, I right. Would, <laughs> exactly. I wouldn't be waiting for him anymore. I, I will say that at this week's episode, uh, episode five, which features John Lieber, uh, I have my friend uh, Frank Grunewald on again. And in episode six, I think is is probably the most fun I've had with it. So you'll have to kind of wait for that for a, a, another week or so. But I'm not sure how long I can I can hold out. But is, until he shows up, or until I get tired of doing it, or until I think I make, can't be funny anymore, then I, I'm going to keep it going. I'll continue to wait patiently. And we're all going to be waiting for Perlman. Brett, another feature you have on the, on the, on your series there is is Mel's memories, and I really. Uh, I really That's admired awesome. that. I really liked that. First of all, I met your father at a book signing. Very nice man. I can see the, fall, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Kind of reminds me of my grandfather when he used to take me to ball games. Uh, he had all these memories. He went to Ebbets Field and old Yankee Stadium and all that. You know, it's, it's such a, a nice feature that you have on there. Yeah, tell us about your dad. Tell yeah, us about you, want, you want to uh, tell us more about that? Oh, yeah. I'd be honored to talk about my dad. I mean... Of course, I, I, before I talk about my dad, let me just say that I love my mom, too. And I'm sure she's got tons of Audrey's memories she'd like to, sh- to share. But I told her she's not allowed on the podcast. Sorry. <laughs> my dad is, is everything to me. And I am a baseball fan. And, and I, ha- I have my love for the Mets because of him. It starts with him. And, you know, during baseball season, we, we literally talk or text almost every night about the game. And we've been through the highs, highest of highs and the lowest of lows watching the Mets as, as, as all Mets fans have. And, you know, but, but more than baseball, my dad and I love to laugh together and have fun. And one of the things we have a lot of fun with is my dad has the worst memory probably of anybody that I've ever met. He can't remember anything. He could tell you what he had for, for lunch in 1957, but he could not tell you what he had for lunch yesterday. And that's exactly true. So I, I didn't even really tell him I was going to be doing this. I, I just said to him, listen, and the other thing about my dad that's fantastic, he doesn't even ask me why I'm asking him things. He just, he just goes along with it. So <laughs> I, set, I set the recorder up and I just started having a conversation with him. And I said, listen, I think I want to use you as part of this podcast I'm going to be doing. Let's just, let's just sit down and talk. It was over the phone already because I couldn't, unfortunately, I couldn't be in the same room as him, which is, by the way, you know, not being, I mean, of all the things that are, that are you know, terrible about these times, and there's so many terrible things, and I consider myself extremely lucky because I, for so many reasons, but unfortunately, I can't sit in the same room as my parents, which is, which is a terrible thing. But I, like I said, I, I'm one of the lucky ones, so I'm not complaining. I said, just tell me, give me some of your memories. And we did about, he did about, actually, I had told him to think of some memories, and I thought he would come up with a couple, and he came up with four or five right off the bat, and, you know, he's, he's a one-take wonder. You know, he just tells the memories, and and we, and we go from there. And I wasn't even sure initially how many he would have and when, what time period they would all be for. And, you know, we've done like seven or eight or nine of them already. And they've all been from his childhood. His friend Melvin Klein ends up in half of them, which is hilarious. And for a guy who grew up as a New York Giant fan, 
and then became a Mets fan. Uh, he's got a lot of stories about going to Yankee Stadium as a as a youngster, but that I asked him about that later, and he said it was just he happened to live in the Bronx, and it was easier to get to Yankee Stadium than, than the Polo Grounds. But I love that my dad is a part of this, and I love the fact that, that you guys love that he's a part of it. I, you're not the only ones who have told me that, that they like the Itzhak Perlman segment, the Waiting for Perlman segment, but they love the Mel's memories. And to me, that's just like, that's everything. So it's almost like the perfect little package for me, this, this podcast. And initially I did it for me and for, you know, some close friends. And, you know, the fact is I have, you know, uh, people retweeting it and, and putting it on Facebook and sharing it uh, like, like yourselves. And the fact, you know, I'm, I'm just doing this like goofy little podcast out of this small little room uh, in my basement is, uh, is kind of cool. It's, it's more than kind of cool. So to have my dad be a part of it is awesome. Brett, you just described our podcast. Goofy little podcast out of our basement. <laughs> yeah, but you have ribs. You have ribs. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> and well, you and you have onions sautéing in a frying yeah. pan. <laughs> true enough. True enough. We can get listen. With this, we can get together for this. <laughs> that's right. Uh, explain that one because <laughs> people are gonna hear that. They what? I I was inspired. <laughs> yeah, so you know, I have to do my Itzhak Perlman research, and you know, I was I was forwarded by a a, a link by 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 that same friend I mentioned earlier, and she said, you know, you got to watch this because Itzhak Perlman talks about uh, some things. You know, I'm, I'm trying to soak in as much about Itzhak Perlman because although I admire him, you know, I don't, I'm not, I'm not a, a Itzhak Perlman scholar. And <laughs> when some, one of the interviews he was doing, they said, you know, what. I think the question was posed like, what is the greatest sounds maybe other than music? And he, he, it wasn't even the smell of the onions frying in the frying pan. He loved the sound of onions frying in a frying pan. So I believe it was on episode two, I had onions frying in a frying pan to try to lure him, uh, lure him <laughs> on the show. And I, I believe after the, the, that, the scene of the frying pans, I, I said, it's something along the lines of if my boyish good looks don't don't lure Mr. Perlman, then perhaps these onions will. And you know, and, and the onions keep coming up. And I have to tell you, people are texting me photos of onions frying in a frying pan. I had a good friend who actually sent me there's a there's an app now called Marco Polo where you could send little video messages back and forth to each other. And he sent me one just the other day of of he didn't even say anything, I don't think, but he just put onions frying in a frying pan and sent it to me. So. <laughs> That's uh, taking on a little life of its own. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I have no shame. I will do whatever it takes. Yeah, again, like us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, Brett, you have your, you have your books. You have your, your, your podcast, your video podcast now. I know your communications. You have now a, a media company, BT5 Media. You want us to tell us about what that's all about? Sure. So, BT5 Media was uh, something I actually launched not that long ago. And the idea of that was that in addition, you know, one of my, you know, my, my real life job is I'm the director of communications at Buckley Country Day School, which is an independent school on Long Island and a fantastic place. And I've been there for six years and love it there. And one of the things I do there is I, I take photos, I make videos, I, I, I shoot videos, I make montages. So, and, and it's really one of the most favorite things that I do. I love, I love that whole uh, multimedia aspect, although it's not something I, I grew up doing necessarily i grew up in journalism but i've kind of morphed into this into this multimedia world and uh, I, well i guess as the world has morphed into being multimedia you know bt5 media i, I decided I, I love shooting sports so i thought it'd be a great idea 
to shoot some some sports. I actually started with with girls volleyball. Uh, a friend of mine runs a girls volleyball a club, and uh, I shot some matches and I sat, shot some tournaments and put some things together. And, and the reaction and the response was actually really good. And I said, "Wow, this is this could be something interesting." You know, plenty of athletes need video highlight reels for whether it's for recruiting or just for fun. You know, the majority of of athletes who, you know, it could be for kids as well. So uh, volleyball turned into lacrosse, which turned into some other things. And, you know, it was just starting to ramp up when <laughs> sports went away. So I am confident because I am staying, you know, we've joked a couple of times about what's been going on. It's certainly no joke, but I am confident we are going to get back to some sort of normal at some point, hopefully soon. You know, my, my goal with BT5 Media is to combine sports highlight reels, maybe some photo montages, Like I said, I'm a professional photographer as well. So, you know, I do have a website, bt5media.com. And on that website, you can kind of see the the kinds of things I do. Actually, my shameless plug, and and I'm jumping the gun because it's probably on your piece of paper to ask me also. But if you go to bttalksbaseball.com, www.bttalksbaseball.com, you can see all the episodes plus have be linked to my books, my, my book website and BT5 Media. So, I appreciate you bringing BT5 Media up and for not cutting me off as I was doing a shameless advertisement. Yeah, that's the- <laughs> that was, we were going to ask you about that, having right. people get in touch with you and all, all the social media places where you're at. Jeff and I and you, we're all Met fans. And I was just thinking as, as you're talking about this, I was thinking Mount Rushmore for each decade. Now with the Mets, there are some pretty bad decades. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, they've been around since 62, and, and I, well, I guess you could pick a good year or two out of each decade, but I'm wondering if you might have trouble picking a, a Mount Rushmore for, for one of the decades. Well, you, you know, believe it or not, even though there were some really bad te- uh, Mets teams, more bad teams than good teams, certainly, other than the 1990s, the Mets have been to the World Series in every decade that they've, mm-hmm. played, they've been in existence. You know, they made the World Series in 69 and 73 mm-hmm. and 86. Like I said, not the 90s, but they were there in 2000 and they were there in 2015. So right. there certainly was uh, glimpses of strong players. And, That's true. you know, I'm certainly not going to, you know, for the 60s, you know, it's going to be heavily pulled from those later 60s teams. From the 70s, it's certainly going to be pulled from those early 70s teams. <laughs> from the 80s, I think it's pretty clear. I think the 80s is probably uh, – uh, a slam dunk. The 90s, even though the 90s they didn't go to the World Series, they had some great players. And I, I don't want to give away the the, the, the Mount Rushmore's, but, you know, right. 90s is when, you know, you had guys like Alfonso and, and other pe- type of people who I was lucky enough to have on BT Talks Baseball. Um, in the 2000s, you know, you go you stretch from Piazza to the 06 team that didn't go right. to the World Series. But, you know, you got guys like Wright and Reyes and the tens and the and the moving forward, I did you know I'm going to do a chapter on the the twenties, believe it or not, kind of a spin ahead chapter is going to be more subjective and to me like not unlike some other lists and you know uh, books like this where you you know even my book simply the best which you were kind enough to mention about the Philadelphia Athletics you know I, I wrote that book and called it simply the best because my premise was that the Philadelphia Athletics of the twenty nine to thirty one uh, from nineteen twenty nine to nineteen thirty one were the best team to ever play but there's plenty of Yankee fans and, and baseball historians who, who feel that, that, you know, those Yankee teams of the 27, 28 and murderers row were the greatest. So, you know, it's subjective, but believe it or not, I was 
it wasn't that much of a, a hard pull, but <laughs> some decades are harder than others, certainly. And this and there's some repeat there's some repeats too, right? I'm gonna you know yeah. spoiler alert. Seaver right. uh, is in the '60s and '70s. You know, <laughs> Kuzman is in the '60s and '70s. I, I didn't have a rule where you could only be in one decade because you know Seaver broke in in '67, and until he left, even you know he left, he was traded in '77, but uh, in '77, but in uh, you know '75, he still won the Cy Young Award, so he was still a viable superstar. And a player can't be. Let's set the ground rules here. A player that wasn't good with the Mets and then became a superstar, uh, Nolan Ryan, Justin Turner. But if they're not Mount Rushmore worthy with the Mets, then they're not on it, right? Is that how it's going to work? Or you tell me. That's correct. That, that's All correct. Right. They make it to the they make it at the end of each chapter for a couple of pages of of trades that the Mets, you know, ah. the Mount Rushmore players, players they traded away. Um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, unfortunately, as Met fans, there's plenty of players they traded away, and there's also plenty of prospects that, that never made it. The, the Mount Rushmore of Mets prospects that never made it, you know, I don't even want to go down the list, but it's Sean Abner, Lasting's Millage, sure. Ryan Thompson, yeah. you know, a lot of five-tool players that that's toolbox was kind of empty. Exactly. Brad, in episode three of BT Talk Baseball, you talked to Marty Appel, the Yankee historian, former uh, PR director, Directly, he was the producer of the tele- telecast. I love the story of him, how you met him. Would you be able to tell us, how, you know, our audience, how, how you got in touch with Marty Appel? Oh my God, yes! I'm, I'm I'm very conscious of your of your remaining time we have here, so I'm okay. going to tell it as quick as I can. But it's a great story, and 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 it, and it came with it came during when I was writing my book uh, when Shay was home, which was about the '75 season. Okay, let me see if I can tell this briefly. So I was looking for a Yankee source. I had, had, I had a Mets source. I didn't have any Yankee source for that season. And I, I kind of put the whole idea of it away. And me and my wife went out to, to see a concert. And while we were at the concert, they were seating people with other people. And I, and I hate that. I hate when they put strangers at my table. But, you know, I was in a good mood. I was seeing a performer that I really liked. So they brought this other couple over to sit with, with us. And Turned out that it was a very strange thing, but that couple inadvertently was my daughter's preschool teacher and her husband. And we're like, oh, okay, Mrs. Ross, all right. You know, I didn't even care. I was kind of not, I was being a little antisocial uh, as I tend to be. Social distancing is not hard for me. I, I try to stay away. <laughs> so she says to me, the teacher said, the, Mrs. Ross says to me, oh, you're into baseball. And I, I just felt, felt this was going to be the start of a bad conversation. He goes, yeah, yeah, I'm into baseball. All right, well, I'm mean, fixing me up with your husband. He's sitting right next to me. I know. She goes, oh, and she's very nice. I, but this was a dialogue that was in my head. And she, she goes, oh, well, you should talk to, you know, my, my husband right here because Larry, because uh, he, his, he's cousins with Marty Appel. Who's a 75? Now, I, I, I missed the story up because I forgot to tell you. I forgot at the beginning of the story that I was trying to get in touch with Marty Appel for weeks leading up to this dinner, which I, I screwed up the whole story. So, but, so I couldn't get in touch with him. So she goes, You're cousins with Marty Appel. He's cousins with Marty Appel. And I said, I thought I was being like punked or, you know, whatever that old Jamie Kennedy show was. I said, Come on. And he goes, No, no, no. Marty Appel's my first cousin. And I was just in disbelief that I had been looking for Marty Appel for literally two weeks, and now randomly this guy is Marty Appel's cousin. So he could have just said, "Oh, you're looking for him? That's that's, that's nice. Yeah, I, I'm I'm his I'm his cousin." But instead, he took out his cell phone, texted the guy, and told Marty Appel that I'm sitting with a a, a gentleman by the name of Brett Topel. I had only written one book at that point, which was simply the best. 
So I really didn't have, even have a lot of credibility, certainly. But but Larry Ross turned. I like to say that time that, that he turned into a superhero for me. Put his cape on, and you know the next day I was having a, a two-hour interview with Marty Appel, and it just it was it was a bizarre way to get in touch with him, and you know that bizarre way to get in touch with him stretched all the way till just a few weeks ago when I got to interview him for BT Talks Baseball, and and you know Mar- of all the players like. I'm, I try not to be in awe of people as I'm interviewing them because I, you know, you want to be this authoritative interviewer. Marty Appel, I have three of his books on my, I'm not even a Yankee fan and I have three of his books on my (laughs) desk shelf here. He's just such a phenomenal writer. And, you know, as a writer, when you encounter another writer and maybe that, I knew I wasn't going to be a baseball player. So talking to John Matlack or, or, you know, Edgar Alfonso, I was never going to be able to do that. But I aspire to be able to be a, a writer uh, like Marty Appel, but I know that I can't be because he's just so phenomenal. Th- that was, was really, you know, it's very, uh, I consider myself lucky, and, and he's, he's a, such a good man and, and has always been so generous with his time. And so a little bit of a wacky story, but so glad it happened. Small world, you never know. You never know. That, that's amazing how you got in touch with him. One, 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 of, one of a couple of strange stories with that book, as you know. Yes. We had on uh, Mark Healy the, on our last episode, and Marty Appel wrote the uh, the intro for his book. Yes, and, Mark, uh, Mark, Mark Healy's book. I've not read it yet. In fact, I'm I'm going back and forth with him because I'm I'm going to get a couple of copies from him uh, from me and my dad. I'm very interested in that book, and you guys did a great job with him last week. And yeah, really excellent, excellent talk. And and I actually, he, Mark has done a couple of uh, live uh, video talks. In fact, I think uh, Jeff, you, we, I saw you on one of those as well. Yeah. Yeah, I wish him the best with that book. I feel really bad that, you know, anybody who's uh, – Brian Wright also had a, a great book that mm. came out uh, about uh, some of the best Mets. And, uh, you know, as somebody who has released books and the, the, the excitement over waiting for the book to finally get released and to have a book launch and to be able to have book events, that's such a high for an author. You know, it, it, the book only comes out once. You know, it's not like – I mean, you hope your book has legs and, and sells copies for an uh, amount of – excuse me, an amount of time, but, you know, there's only one, a book only has one book launch, and I feel terrible for those guys that are doing that now during this, this difficult time, but, you know, the, the social media, the, those guys are grinders, man, and they're both grinding on social media, Brian and, and Mark, and I have both of their books uh, on, on the top of my list, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about having one or both of them on BT Talks Baseball as well, because really two solid writers and you know i, I think that their, their their books are worthy of, of being discussed well i see we're running out of time here brett you want to tell us where we people can get in touch with you we have twitter facebook you know give us your plugs yeah sure um i'll mention my website again that's that's absolutely the best way it's bttalksbaseball.com um, that's my website you can get uh, information you, you can get right in touch with me there by sending me a message you can get signed books you can get link to my book site uh, topelmetsbook.com or bt5media.com uh, i am on twitter uh, at bt stuff i'm on facebook i'm on instagram there's it's really not hard to find me i'm, I'm pretty much as uh, as larry david said uh says in curb your enthusiasm uh, i'm around i'm around so uh, <laughs> uh you can find me but uh, bttalksbaseball.com is the best way to to see all the episodes right on my website well we wish you the best of luck with that it's really fantastic len yeah no it's great I, i'm enjoying i can't wait for the i watched them so quickly and i can't wait for the next one to come out so when's it coming out 
They come out every Friday morning, okay. and, and the next one will be uh, John Lieber, nice. followed by Jeff Blum. Nice. Looking forward to it. Brett, thank you very much for your time. Thank Jeff, you, Brett. Man, thank you so much. Uh, thank you, guys. I really can't, can't tell you how much uh, I appreciate you having me on. You guys do a great job, and, and uh, I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Len, how do you like Brett? Is there anything that he can't do? He You're writes. Great. Now he does the videos. BT Talks Baseball is fantastic. Oh, yeah, I love it. It comes out every Friday, and they're short. What is yeah. it, this six, seven, eight minutes long? Right. I like his features. You know, it kind of reminds me a little of us, where he's got some features that are a little unique, like his Waiting for Itzhak Perlman. Right. Or, or Mel's Memories, which is his father talking about his, mem his baseball memories. And it's really, really good. And the last one, well... There'll be one, of course, when, when this episode airs, there will be one the day before. But he had on none, none other than the actor who Greg, I Greg Brady. I know he's not Greg Brady. Ba Barry Williams. Thank you. I couldn't think of his name. Every, you look at him, it's, it's Greg Brady. Right. He had on Greg Brady. And the connection was fantastic. Jeff, just quickly tell us the connection that he had with Greg Brady, because that was... They were talking thing. about uh, the great Dodger first baseman, Wes Parker, when he made an appearance on the Brady Bunch. So that's, that's the connection. He, got, he, got, right. he couldn't get Wes Parker, so he got, he got Barry Williams, who played uh, Greg Brady. Right, because Greg Brady had a crush on his teacher, and she ended up, the fact, she was dating uh, Wes Parker. So, right. <laughs> and then I guess Wes Parker gave him an autograph, and then yeah, said... Tickets, blah, 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 yeah. Right? for tickets so a great episode brett does a fantastic job with that absolutely bttalksbaseball.com now len who do we have coming up next uh, we've got we've got someone who anyone who's a fan of this show will recognize because we've had him on before he's a fantastic guy none other than ray sheehan ray sheehan of the company barbecue buddha and he'll tell you all about that in the interview but fantastic sauces and rubs. His sauces are amazing. They win awards. They're all natural. Uh, they're just, whether you're cooking, whatever you're cooking will be great on them. And then, of course, we talk about his new book, Award-Winning Barbecue Sauces and How to Use Them, The Secret Ingredient to Next Level Smoking. And he actually gives you the recipes for the sauces, which he wins awards with. Right. Just, just a great interview. He's a great guy. Hope you guys enjoy it. Here's Ray. For all your barbecue aficionados out there, definitely, this is a, a book that you need to have. So, without further ado, here's Ray Sheehan. Our guest is an award winner. His Memphis Mop barbecue sauce won best barbecue sauce in the world. His success with sauces and rubs has translated into a company which makes some of the best products yours truly has ever tasted. Now he has written the incredible cookbook, award-winning barbecue sauces and how to use them, which I can almost guarantee will elevate your barbecue to the next level. Let's hope the third time is the charm. Making his third appearance on Baseball and Barbecue is none other than Ray Sheehan. Ray, welcome back to Baseball and Barbecue. Hey, thank you for having me. It's so good to be back with you guys. Uh, I feel like it's been too long, so I'm, I'm happy to be on. Welcome, it Ray. It has been, and thrilled to have you on. But see, Ray, I'm going to start a little, little different here, okay? 
you do, you, you, you cook, you know, you make award-winning sauces. You, you, now you have a great cookbook. I figure you, your talents are endless. How are you <laughs> interpreting dreams? <laughs> uh, not that good. All right, well. I, I, I've only been able to interpret my own. <laughs> I, I need you and Jeff, put your heads together. Before we, before we get into your incredible company and your incredible cookbook, last night I had a dream that I was Derek Jeter. I was okay. 42 years old. I was Derek Jeter, and the season was about to begin, and I had a pain in my, thro in my elbow, in my throwing elbow, and they told me that I needed Tommy John surgery. Now, for anyone who doesn't know Derek Jeter, because we have people that are just barbecue, Derek Jeter. Hall of Fame shortstop, about to go in the Hall of Fame, with the New York Yankees, played for like 20 years. What do you think that means? You know, you're, you're, you're on the cusp of greatness, and you're holding yourself back with these injuries that you're portraying in your mind. But, you know, the, the, this baseball and barbecue podcast is really on the cusp of taking uh, the barbecue and baseball world by storm. That's it. That's why we have you on for a third time. Okay. There we go. Thank you, Ray. All right. Let's talk about your incredible, incredible cookbook. You've got an intro by Bob Trudnack, the owner of Barbecue Guru. Incredible pictures, sauces. What, what made you decide to write a cookbook, Ray? You know, I've always wanted to write a cookbook. I've been in the food world my entire life. And so it was something that was on my bucket list, but I never knew how I was going to get there. You know, I had no idea. And then uh, when we were at the, when I met you uh, at the barbecue expo, I ran into a friend of mine, Bill Gillespie, who's a world champion barbecue guy and uh, a super nice guy. We were discussing uh, his cookbooks and I said, uh, you know, I, I write for the barbecue news, the national barbecue news magazine. And I do like recipes and, uh, Sometimes I'll do a product review or uh, an article. And I said, you know, I'm working on these recipes and, uh, for a cookbook. And he said, who's your publisher? I said, well, I really don't have a publisher yet, but I'm just kind of like, you know, gathering information and working on recipes. This is, and he said, oh, I should introduce you to my publisher. And I'm like, well, you know, that would be fantastic. And then a little bit, you know, a couple weeks went by and he made the introduction and um, I pitched my idea to them. And then we, we came up with something that, you know, it was kind of like a, a series of, of steps. Like I showed them some of the things that I was working on and then they tested the recipes and then we formulated the direction for the book. And they said, you know, you're the barbecue guy. You're winning all these awards for your barbecue sauces. You should write a barbecue sauce book, which ended up becoming not only award-winning barbecue sauces, but because there's 10 different sauces in the book that have won us or me awards for barbecue and for cooking. And so there's 50 ways to use them. So there's, there's 60 recipes, but it's not just like a book filled with sauce recipes, right. you know, 60 sauce recipes. It's 10 amazing sauces and then 50 ways to wow your guests or your, you know, barbecue judges. So, so I, you know, it was a process of refinement. You know, I, I had all these ideas and I had to whittle them down into a refined, concise plan of action to fill out the book. It was yeah, a process. Yeah. The book is fantastic. I've been looking through it. One of the things I like about it is that 
the introductions to each, I guess, chapter, for lack of a better word, is you give a little history of the barbecue sauce being used in those recipes. So you, you have Memphis and wherever else you, you have your right, Kansas City barbecue sauce. Right, North Carolina. North Carolina, right. So tell us about some of those, I guess, chapter headings. So one of the things that, that my editor said was, you know, you have to, I want you to write a chapter intro for each barbecue sauce. And so I'm thinking about it and I'm like trying to decide what is, what is the best way for the reader to capture these sauces. So history is a good way to uh, give people, you know, a, a good base, a good background. So if I can tell you in each chapter opener, what to expect in that region or, or in that style of sauce, it gives you a base. And then I, you know, so I want to let people know this is the type of barbecue that you were going to get in Kansas city or North Carolina or, or Alabama. You know, this is the type of, of proteins that are used. This is the flavor profile. And, uh, and these, and these are some of the things to get people excited. These are the recipes that we're going to use to accentuate the use of the sauce. That's great because you know what happens is you see these sauces in the in all these cookbooks, right? And, you, and they give all these, you know, there's a long list. Maybe they have all these sauces and maybe in this cookbook there's rubs, whatever. But then you don't know what to use them on. Am I using it on steak? Am I using it on pork? Am I using it on fish? Am I using it on, you know, on, on, on the ribs? On what? I mean, you, you really don't know. So the recipes are extremely helpful because that way you have a, some guidance what you're using them on. Oh yeah. It, it's like when you go to a restaurant and you go to a, a higher end restaurant and you don't have to season the food because the chef's already done that. The chef has put this sauce with this protein and that's what you pay for. You're paying for that experience of someone to guide you. Same thing with the book. I, you can use, now my, my theory is that you can use, you can mix and match the sauces and the seasonings with the recipes and formulate your own flavor profiles. But I'm going to guide the reader to use this sauce or this rub that I think is really going to be a dynamite combination. And it's my job to guide them there, to bring them those flavor profiles. Now, where you go with it after that, it's a totally up to the reader. It's up to you. But I'm going to make a confession. I'm a barbecue fraud. Okay. <laughs> I said it. I'm a barbecue fraud because I've made rubs. I've smoked meat. I've, you know, I've done it. Everything barbecue related, I have never made barbecue sauce. I don't know why, you know, because it was always easier to, you know, grab a bottle or whatever. But Ray, your book has definitely motivated me. I will be making homemade sauce. Well, it, and it's I'd so it's so there. easy, really. I mean, uh, it it's most of, it's very uh, accessible. All the things in the book. There's only really one ingredient out of 60 recipes that you may have to order or maybe at a specialty food store. Everything else is, you know, probably things that you just have in your pantry or, or it's readily available at your local uh, grocery store. In my Asian barbecue sauce, I do feature a secret ingredient of black garlic. Black garlic, for people that has, have never tried it, is really an outstanding way to consume garlic. It's uh, almost... Uh, I would say not quite fermented, but it's along those lines. It's um, more mellow. You would use it anywhere you would use roasted garlic. 
Um, so it's okay to have a, a black garlic and a raw garlic in the same recipe because they're really going to give you different flavor profiles. The black garlic is more like a um, molasses-y kind of balsamic umami flavor versus the sharp pungent flavor of raw garlic. But but the but the majority of the recipes, everything's accessible. It it's like it's basic. Uh, it's a comprehensive thing. There's tailgate appetizers. There's entrees. There's even br- a couple breakfast recipes because barbecue isn't just for breakfast anymore, right? <laughs> so so there's we're trying to show people that you can really include barbecue in just about every meal. And there's various ways besides just using the sauce on protein. There's great side dishes, the breakfast. There's ways that you can infuse this barbecue flavor into all of your meals. As Len will be said he'll be making barbecue sauce. I don't have that type of patience, so I will be purchasing right from a BBQ Buddha. So (laughs) (laughs) anyway, you chapter on honey barbecue sauce. I I find that really, you know, you you talk about springtime and how to to create it, and some of the recipes look really good. I want to ask you about your thick-cut bacon skewers. Who's that kid who's enjoying the, uh, the skewer? <laughs> that kid is my son. And he's like really thrilled. Not only did I dedicate the book to him because, you know, I, I wanted to memorialize the fact that we spend so much time barbecuing together. And, you know, and I really appreciate the bond that we formed. Barbecue tends to bring people together. And that's one of the ways that we've been able to spend a lot of time together. So I really wanted to get him in the book if I could, if it made sense. And there he is with the bacon skewers. And he's like, uh, you know, over the moon. And he was helping the photographer too. We had a great photographer, Ken Goodman. He's an A-list photographer. He's done a number of cookbooks, but a number of some of the top uh, barbecue cookbooks that are out there, including Tuffy Stone's book, He's really an, a super nice guy, a trained chef, and he's also a championship barbecue guy. So he really knew what, you know, how to uh, bring my vision to the book. It was just incredible to work with him. He really, he was the driving force of getting these pictures done in a timely manner. And it's all real food. There's no, there's nothing stage. We didn't paint anything with motor oil or cherry juice or, or like, you know, any kind of a couple of buddies came over. Uh, one guy brought his smoker. We cooked a myriad of food over the course of uh, four or five days and uh, one dish right after the other. So my son was pivotal in helping us get the dishes back into the kitchen, wrapping up food. So, I mean, and it didn't come, his labor wasn't cheap either. You know, we had to pay him too. We had to pay him in food and we had to get him in the book, but, uh, but he was a big help. It, it was a really fun time. It was really what a great way to spend, you know, it was like in the beginning of July, we did the shoot and it was, it was so much fun. I would like to go to one of those because you, the, the pictures, I would get the book just for the pictures. I mean, those pictures look like you could eat right off the page and you're right. This guy is amazing. So you have four or five days, a couple of buddies, you're making all that food. Somebody's got to eat it. And one day, Jeff, that's what we want to do. You know, we have a bucket list of things, baseball and barbecue related, that we want to do. We have to get to a photo shoot for somebody who's doing a cookbook, maybe Ray's next book, and just be the recipients of the food. That's all. Because yeah. who is eating all that food, Ray? I'll tell you what. I hope to get the opportunity to write another book. 
And when we do the shoot, I would love to have you guys come over and and, uh, and tape and eat. That sounds like a plan. That's Thank number you. one. Number two is the is that uh, so I sent some food home with people. We donated some food, and then some That's of the food nice. uh, we had to save because. For instance, like, so I do a full-on Packer brisket, like a Texas brisket. And then I, so the one recipe is for the flat. And then we do burnt ends. That comes from the point. And then there's another recipe in the book that's brisket baked beans. So I had to save some brisket for that to chop up the brisket and use for the pictures for the baked beans. And then there's a few other pictures in chapter openers where we're taking, you know, a protein that we had left that we needed something for the shot. So we did, you know, we had to save some of the food throughout the shoot to, to use for a different picture. And then a lot of the pots and pans and platters I was able to get from a flea market right down the street from my house, which is pretty cool because our move to this area, we moved our home and uh, my business to this part of Jersey. So it was really cool to get stuff that was local, you know, to, to use in the book. And then I even was able to get for my beer can chicken uh, from Asbury Park Brewery, a uh, Stone Pony. Uh, the, I don't know if you're familiar with the rock venue, the Stone Pony. Uh-huh. But, so they, they partnered with the Stone Pony, the brewery, to create this beer. So I was able to use that beer for my beer can chicken. So it was pretty neat. It's a little local flavor there. You know, right. Some of these recipes here are, are so different. Uh, like I've never even you know heard of it or, or whatever, and I'd really love to taste some of them. Tell us about some of the, this one I, I just came across, Smoked. Smurf and turf, surf and turf barbecue burger with barbecue aioli. Uh, aioli. Yeah, that's how, that looks. So, that looks so so good. I'm a big surf and turf guy, and I often get it out. I usually just make it, you know, like some type of surf and turf. And I'm like, so I thought to myself, what would be a really cool way to surf and turf into the book, but like something that's like something that like anybody can do. Like you could anybody can make a burger. You know, sometimes steak intimidates people, but a burger, who doesn't like a good burger? So I created this blend with, with you know, that was designed to stay moist because it's going to be a little bit of a longer cook. And uh, and then I used the, the bacon wrapped shrimp from uh, one of my other recipes to get the, the surf and, and in combination with the aioli, which is basically kind of like a uh, barbecue garlic barbecue infused mayo kind of, you know, like that's kind of what it would remind you of. And that really sets it off. I mean, it's, it gives it a little bit of a, a creamy barbecue flavor to the tender burger meat and the crispiness of the bacon with the shrimp. Oh, it's just outrageous. You really got to try it. Oh, it's, it, it looks so delicious. <laughs> My mouth is watering right yes. now. Oh, And that's all real food. I mean, you see the turkey burger in there. Uh-huh. That, I mean, like, I look at that and I'm like, wow, like we made that for this book. Sometimes I, I would look at it and be like, man, it's really cool. I'm, I'm, I must say, like, I'm very pleased with the way it came out. You work so hard to make it look good and taste good. You know, my goal is to inspire people to really cook. If you notice that book, um, I don't think you've received your hard copy yet, but it has a lay flat binding. So it's designed for you to l- just lay it on the counter and cook with it. Page Street Publishing, one of their things that they say is they like to inspire readers to do things that they love better. And this way, you can do it better because I, I, I collect cookbooks. And a lot of ones that I have, they don't lay flat. You've got to sit right, there and right, put right, something right. on it. It's closing. You're trying to, you know, if it's 
the middle of the book, forget it. You're trying to like hold it open. You have to buy a special thing. This just already has that lay flat binding. So that was one of the, the benefits of me uh, getting my uh, manuscript done by the deadline. <laughs> so we could get it done and, and get that binding. So it's designed for you to cook with. I really want to encourage, inspire, and to teach people how to make delicious barbecue in their home and that it's accessible. That's perfect, That uh, the, the lay flat, because you're right. The cookbooks, you put them down. First of all, it's hard when you put them down. You want them to stand up. We had to buy like this plastic thing that, you know, it has to, it, the book goes in between, you know, right. for cookbooks. And then, of course, from constantly opening it to put the cookbook in, it cracked, it broke. So, uh. <laughs> so, so that, that, that alone is a great feature. So the pictures and the lay flat, two reasons you got to get the book. <laughs> That's right. And, and Ray, tell us about, I saw you posted something on Facebook about, you know, small businesses. And of course, right now we're all sheltered at home with the, with the, the pandemic that's going on. Uh, you posted something about small businesses. You want to tell us about that? I did post a couple things about small business. One of them was that uh, GoFundMe, the GoFundMe website was, they were doing, like kind of like a uh, helping small businesses. So if you if you have a small business and you were able to start your GoFundMe, um, and, and it has to be a, a registered small business, and if if you're able to raise five hundred dollars, they would match it. So at least it's something. It's it's a little help just mm-hmm. to get you by. Sure. I I put mine up there, and then honestly I took it down because I felt like, you know, I'm I'm okay. I, I don't want to dis- detract from others that may need it or, or in a, a worse position than myself. And, mm-hmm. and what happens is when you get too many people, it's like it gets watered down and like the Ruth Chris steakhouse and these places that are, I mean, these are massive companies and now they're coming mm-hmm. to turn the money back in or whatever. I don't know. I, I may, I may at some point, you know, have to revisit that, but I just felt like, you know what? I, I'm okay for the moment, and 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 I'm very appreciative. You know, an article came out not last night, the night before. I didn't. You know, every once in a while, I do a search of the book because I want to see if anyone's writing about it. And somebody actually wrote this article and was like, you know, this Memphis mop is the best sauce in the world. It's official. You got to try it. This guy won this all these awards for it, and I'm like, wow, this is. I don't even know this person. This is amazing. Because of that article, I got like a ton of orders. So I'm very grateful for every order, every every like, every share on Facebook. And even if you can't uh, spend money to purchase, you know, the products, a like or a share on social media really does help because it exposes your product to others that may not have, you know, been aware of it in the past and it's no cost to share, you know, to share a post on, on social media. So right. I'm very grateful for, you know, for you guys having me on, for everyone that supports us. It's not easy having a sauce business. There's a million sauces. Everybody's got a sauce or a seasoning. So it's really got to be good and it's really got to be different to stand out. So I just want to say thank you to everybody out there for giving us a chance and trying it out. Let us know where anybody can purchase your book. And I know it's, it's hard right now at, at independent bookstores, but what, what websites or where can people order the book? 
you can purchase the book on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Book Depository, my website. You can purchase the book anywhere books are sold, basically. It's award-winning barbecue sauces and how to use them by Ray Sheehan, obviously. And my website is bbqbuddha.com. That's bbqbuddha, B-U-D-D-H-A.com. And Ray, you know, you mentioned there are a million sauces. There are also a million podcasts. So <laughs> we, we know, you know, there may not be as many barbecue podcasts, but baseball podcasts, there are definitely a million. So we, we know exactly. <laughs> you know, we're in that same boat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the things that you really have to uh, work hard at distinguishing yourself in, in any business these days. And, and right now it's a tough time for everybody. So the good thing is people are home and, and hopefully staying safe and, uh, and they can listen to us ramble on about baseball and barbecue and barbecue and baseball. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it's, uh, it gives them kind of something to do and something to look forward to. How can you go wrong with the, the two best guys here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. The check will clear, Ray. Ray, I'm going to challenge Leonard to, oh, here we go. to uh, make your moink balls. Getting back to the book. Moink balls look uh, very appetizing. I, I guess it's really for appetizers, not for a main dish, but they look really good. Can you tell us how you came up with this? Well, that's not, that's not, it's not something that I necessarily created. That's one of those dishes that you hear about when you're at barbecue right. contests or tailgating. Mm -hmm. And traditionally, and they're a not so traditional dish, but I see a lot of people stuff them with little cubes of cheddar cheese or mozzarella cheese or whatever, jalapeno jack cheese, you know, whatever kind of thing you like. I didn't stuff them with cheese for the book because I've, I already had a, a cheesy smoked meatloaf and she, there was a lot of cheese, in, you know, certain dishes. So I wanted to leave it kind of up to the reader, but it's basically a moink ball is beef is where you get the moo and the uh, oink you get from pork. So you take those two proteins, mix them together, and you're going to rub them and uh, wrap them in bacon and put a little rub on that, smoke them, and then glaze them with one of these uh, fantastic sauces. So you get a sweet, smoky, kind of a savory bite all in one. And Ray, the sauces, your sauces also you can get at uh, barbecuebuddha.com, right? Yes, the sauces and right. rubs you can get at bbqbuddha.com, yes. What's next for Ray Sheehan? Well, we are, uh, you know, we're, we're treading water right now. I have, I have a few products kind of waiting that, I've, that are pretty much done. Um, I have a, a barbecue-infused hot sauce I've been working on for the last uh, year and a half. And then I have another barbecue sauce that I'm still testing, but it's pretty much right there. But at the moment, I'm kind of on hold. Uh, right now, I just want to keep the products that I have in stock and get through this little bit, you know, of, of everything that's going on with the crisis and the pandemic. But uh, hopefully when that's over and we start to resume getting back out there, uh, that's what would be uh, next for me, would be those two new products. Even if we stagger them one at a time, you know. Right, I want to get back to your book with the sauces for, for another minute. One of my favorite sauces, I have a uh, partiality toward a Asian barbecue sauce. And you have a couple of recipes in your book for, for uh, Asian barbecue sauce, which I'm definitely gonna use. 
This is really looks really good, and I'm going to try the barbecue sticky ribs with the Asian sauce. They look really, really good. Ah, uh, that that uh, that's one of my favorite sauces in the book. It's so different. It's it's really loaded with umami flavor. You know, it's like kind of lingers on your palate, keeps you wanting to come back for more, uh, but it's not overly sweet. It's not. Um, it's a very well balanced sauce. You know, it has all the usual suspects, like, you know, the, the ketchup base. But then it, what it does is, you know, it, bright, it gets brightened up with, with uh, hints of ginger and uh, five spice and hoisin. It's really, it's an outrageous sauce. And, and I mean, if you don't make it, you're really missing out. And it, it's, a, it's a really a standout sauce. There's five different ways to use it in the book. You know, everything from the sticky ribs to, you know, beef on a stick. It's really delicious. It's one to try. You had to pick now when we're social distancing and I can't come <laughs> over to say you're going to make that. That's, I, that, that's not fair. I, yeah, that's how I'm sorry. But don't miss out on the black garlic. Don't skimp on the black garlic for that recipe. I, you could probably get it at a lot of different specialty food stores, I'm pretty sure. I order it from Black Garlic Market in Pensacola, Florida. You can find them on Facebook, Black Garlic Market. They make a black garlic honey that's like outrageous and black garlic mustard. But but basically the, the black garlic uh, bulbs, I actually did an article on them for the Barbecue News magazine. It really gives it that savory umami flavor that once, you know, you want to just keep coming back for it. It's really good. Ray, you started, you, you started as a baker, right? You started... I did. I, you know, many years ago, I worked in the, in the produce market and next door was a restaurant. And I used to go after work and I was like 15 and I would, I would take the bus to this job and I would go next door and I would watch the chef. And he said, okay, stand there. And he would make Dutch's potatoes and all different, you know, prime rib. And I've always been interested in food and I've had so many different jobs in the food realm from a dishwasher to baker. I was a baker for a long time, actually. And I learned so much from there and uh, just about so many different things, how to be in business, I, you know, how to, uh, how to make, I make this really great cheesecake. Let me tell you, when you come over, <laughs> I got to make it for you. No. But, but, I, but I've had so many different jobs in food. And right before I was, and I talk about it in a book, like I even did an apprenticeship. I was a baker I would work from 4 a.m. until about noon, and then I would go work at this restaurant, which happened to be a really highly regarded restaurant in my area, and, uh, and I learned about sauce making and knife skills. I mean, you have to really enjoy what you do and look at it as a learning experience versus work. Like, it was never work to me. You know, it was never, it was never work. It was just so much fun to learn about all these different ingredients and food, and, and the guy that let me apprentice at his restaurant was growing his own herbs and his own produce on his property and had a smoker. And it was like, wow, this is amazing. And they were doing farm to table, you know, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, giving away my age. But, you know, I learned a lot. And, and baking, baking was just something that it was more relaxing than anything, kind of like barbecue, you know, in a way. Right. You know, because right now, also with baking, during this, this crisis that we're in, People are baking like like crazy. Flour is hard to come by. Forget yeast. 
You cannot yeah. find yeast anywhere. Everybody's becoming a baker, you know, <laughs> during this. And it's just, I mean, it's, I, I understand, you know, it's that whole, one of the reasons that we do barbecue, like you were saying, you know, it's just, it's that back to, you know, slow down, just. Right. Back to basics. I mean? Back to basics. And it's very yeah. comforting. It's right. very comforting to make barbecue, to make bread. I see a lot of people making bread. I did a beer cheese bread last weekend because I couldn't find the yeast. But but right. I, I was able to order it off of eBay. I ordered uh, some yeast in a couple bread pans because I feel like, you know, I might as well get in on that too. You know, the weekend before that, I did a, a brisket and a pork butt. Okay. And I just wanted to uh, just be relaxed out by the pit and feel that the comfort of uh, smelling the hickory burning, you know? Yeah. So everybody, you can reach Ray at uh, www.bbqbuddha.com. Check out his website. Check out his products. Check out this book. And as, as we're wrapping up, Ray, any uh, final words you want to uh, say about the, the book? Anything else you want to plug? Uh, well, you know, as far as the book goes, there's 10 great sauces, but there's also a lot of different really delicious uh, rubs, brines, and marinades that are going to flavor up your food and uh, help you keep it tender. I hope people get it and they're inspired to cook with it. And uh, I just want to say thanks for uh, checking it out. And by the way, his sauces, barbecue, BBQ Buddha, his sauces, they're all natural. So you don't have to worry about giving your family anything that's unhealthy. Um, fantastic, fantastic product. I'm, I'm telling you, we wouldn't have him on for the third time if we, and this is the third of hopefully many, uh, if we did not believe in uh, what he has as a product. So guys, you, you really check him out. Um, we met him the same time we met Lisa Getter from Barbecue Guru. I think that trip to Atlantic City, Jeff, really, uh, we, we, we hit the jackpot on that one. We did. We certainly did. And Ray, we, we really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to talk to us about your book and, and Barbecue Buddha. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on. Wow. Jeff, I, I, every time we speak to Ray, he always gives us some new barbecue advice, something new that I just want to run outside and start grilling. And today is a cold day, too. We're having some unusually cold weather when we're recording this. And yet I still want to whip up some of the sauce and just go make a rack of ribs or it doesn't even have to be ribs. That's the thing. One of the things that barbecue, you always wonder when you see these sauces is, oh, well, do I use this on chicken? Do I use this on fish? Can I use it on, you know, how can I use this? And the great thing about the book is he doesn't just give you the sauces. He tells you how, how you can use them. It gives you some tips. Great book. You should definitely buy it. Absolutely. Check out the website. Seal of approval. BBQBuddha.com. And now, Jeff, we have to conclude the show. Last but certainly not least, and this is one I have been looking forward to, and I know you've been looking forward to a long time. For anyone familiar with this show, we get to the end. We used to put on different music, and I'm not saying that there'll come a time when we won't put on other music, but we were sent a song by Dave Dresser and Shel Krakowski. It's called Baseball Always Brings You Home, and we have been playing it at the end of the show, and we have been getting such wonderful feedback on this song. People love it. 
We love it. That's why we keep playing it. Right now, we had the honor of speaking to the creators of that song, Dave Dresser and Shel Krakowski. I think you're going to really enjoy this interview. Absolutely. So here's our interview with Dave and Shel. Thanks to our two guests, we have seen a large increase in downloads by our neighbors to the north. One is a poet and the other a musician. Together they have given us Baseball Always Brings You Home, a song that has very quickly become one of our favorites and with which we enjoy ending the show. Two of Canada's favorite sons join us on Baseball and Barbecue, and we are so excited to welcome Dave Dresser and Shel Krakowski to Baseball and Barbecue. Welcome, guys. Welcome. Thank you very much. Real treat to be in the Big Apple. <laughs> That's <laughs> glad to have you here. <laughs> so, guys, yes. uh, Dave and, and Shell, love the song. My first question, I guess, is how do you guys two guys come up and collaborate on that song? Well, uh, maybe I'll I'll start that that off. So, so this is Dave speaking. Shell and I have actually worked together for a while. I think we've written probably what six or seven songs, Shell. Six or seven memorable ones. Memorable <laughs> ones, yeah. And so, so we've been working together for a while, and Shell definitely, well, we both really have an interest in baseball. A while back, Shell brought me these words and, and said, you know, this is all about baseball. What do you think you can do with this? And uh, I took it away for a little while and uh, worked on a few different things and basically put together some ideas, and we went back and forth with it for a while. The, uh, the what you hear is the end result of that but uh, yeah it's basically we've got a great partnership shell does all the words and lyrics and i uh, i put the music together so that's that's kind of it in a nutshell shell i don't know if you've got anything you want to add to that well he he's being overly modest he's making it sound like i slipped it under his door and he came up with a song basically <laughs> i'm uh, i'm an old knuckleball pitcher and the odd time i'll hit a corner but Dave's, uh, he's in baseball terms, he's, uh, he's got all five tools. So I gave him the words, and then uh, he, he actually changed a few of them to fit in with the music. But the man can sing, the man can write music, he plays a mean guitar, plays other instruments, mm -hmm. puts it all together, he produces it, he engineers it. His, his role in this is, is, is quite primary. And I knew within three seconds, that it was going to be a terrific song when he, well, he just got inspired by starting it with honky-tonk music. And the only thing I had said to him before he started with, I said, I, I, at some point you should get some organ into it. And, and then it started like I saw the first three notes were honky-tonk and I knew we were off to the races. And then there was just, you know, tweaking and, you know, that old joke about it needs a little bit more cowbell and stuff <laughs> like that. But, but how did you guys meet? Tell us, tell us about how you met. Shell, I'll let you answer that question. <laughs> okay. How, uh, this is a, uh, unusual, to say the least. I'm a retired doctor, or as my wife says, a recovering doctor. And <laughs> Dave was my, and still is, my portfolio manager at a financial institution that only does doctors. Now, how long have you been my advisor? I don't even know how many years. Oh, it's been a few years now. I'm yeah, I, I couldn't tell you. If I said 10, would that be right? Or That might be, yeah. Maybe not okay, quite. Close, it's been a long time. Close to 10. 
And in one of our meetings three or four years ago, he mentioned just offhandedly that he played in a band. I think he was asking me if I had any hobbies or anything. And I sort of shrugged. He said, well, I play in a band. And that was that. And he didn't know that I wrote. And I, you know, I didn't write music. I just, you know, I wrote poetry, fiction, sort of academic essays, that sort of thing. And I said, well, if you're ever playing in London, because it was with a touring band called The Upside of Maybe. And I had heard of it, actually. And that's what all he said. And then I said, well, if you're ever, you know, in this neighborhood, give me a shout. We'll see if we can come. And as it turned out, I couldn't when, when he did invite me. And I think I was having a poetry book launching a couple of years ago, and I invited him. He couldn't come. So bottom line was he didn't know my poetry, and I didn't know his music. And then uh, last year, I had retired, and I just had another book published. And something got into my brain that I wanted to write a country and music, country and western song, something I'd never done. So, well, never mind a country and western. I'd never written a song, but and I didn't know the mechanics of it. So, at the end of our last meeting of what 2018, I guess it would have been. And just at the very end of it, I gave him a piece of paper. I said, I know, you know, you're a musician. I don't know if you, you can encourage me or help me, but I put the words down to a song. And I think it's a country and Western song, but I don't know the structure. Do you think this works? And he just looked at it for five seconds. Then he had to go on to his next client. I guess the next night or the night after that, I got an email from him and it said he liked the song but it's not really a country and Western song. It's more a ballad and should be played in a minor key. I say, hey, this guy sounds like he knows what he's talking about, minor key. You know, that, that's, that, that's professional talk. He said, do you mind if I work on it? And then he explained in this email that uh, he never, um, he doesn't write music for other people, but he does write for himself. He writes music for himself and he actually records it. And if I wanted to, I could go to his uh, website and look at what he does. And if I like what he's doing, I, I could give him the go-ahead to play with this song. And I'll do a commercial for him. The website is called davedressermusic.bandcamp.com. Bandcamp is one word. Well, thanks, Al. <laughs> okay, there you go. And, yeah, it's okay. We want you to plug plug away. That's fine. Uh, okay. We encourage so I, I went. I went to that site that night, and I started listening to his music. And I go, this guy's for real. I mean, I'm, I, I write, but I, you know, I don't do music. But this guy's for real. He's got a sweet voice. You can actually understand the words that he says. His music, he's got a variety of music that he plays. I had no idea how he was doing this. And anyway, I uh, emailed him back. There's no conversations at this point. I emailed him back. I, you know, wow, you know, this is a treat for me. Go ahead. And... I, uh, and that was that. And he said, well, when I get around to it, I'll let you know. And then I'd say approximately six weeks later, I get an email with an MP3 file and there's my music, uh, his music to my words. And I was flabbergasted. I, it was so good. It was really, really good. His music. And then we went back and forth and this is all email. Didn't speak. Then I would you know, I'd say, well, maybe it needs a little more, you know, jokingly cowbell and this needs to be pronounced a little bit better. Within a week or so, it was out. It was out on his site and it was picked up by the CBC within two weeks. CBC uh, being the... Uh, I don't know. If, 
What's that? Oh, I'm just saying the CBC is the national broadcasting company here in Canada. It's like having your first song picked up by NPR and played on the national network. Right. And not only that, we, we got a royalty. Nice. <laughs> which we still haven't had time to spend. <laughs> and they actually put it in, in, their, in, in the National Archive. I said, boy, that was, that was great. And then uh, Dave uh, actually made a video of it, and the video was, was well accepted, and it was played at some film festival. So we're, uh, you know, are, were we going to be one-hit wonders or not? Well, it turns out we had more stuff in us, and uh, we work well together and really enjoy working with him. And we, a lot of our musical interests are the same, but his abilities are way, way better than mine. So my input is minimal. Like, I'll, basically, I like it or I don't like it, and nine times out of ten, I like it. So, uh, Well, Shell's being very humble there. If it wasn't for the words, then we wouldn't have anything to, to, to work with. So it's, uh, I think we work well together. It's, uh, we each bring something to the, uh, to the table, and uh, when you put it together, it's, uh, I think, a good result for sure. Well, when you sent it to us way back when, a couple of weeks ago, a couple months ago, we we loved it, and obviously we got, we played it. We're playing it on a, <laughs> as the outro uh, on our on our podcast. So we thank you for you know sending it to us. It was fantastic. We love it. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. I, we're, I we're, saw we're, that. I think I I might have because you sent it to our our Gmail address, and I you said you know you might be interested in this. And uh, I was excited that somebody just sent something to our Gmail address, <laughs> let, let alone a song. Wow. And it was great. Well, no, no, I listened to your show before I sent it. And I said, boy, this is quirky and funny. And, you know, this is my kind of show. And, and I actually listened to it a couple of times before I sent anything in. Like, well, let me interview for a second. How did you come up with a combination of, of barbecue and baseball? Oh, <laughs> Jeff, go ahead. Tell, okay. tell, tell how the story. We, we, we go back quite a ways. Uh, when our children are now grown. They're, they, they're small. They got together. They're, they're friends. And, and we'd always hang out together. And we'd always talk baseball because we both love the Mets and, and baseball. And Len is a big barbecue. So we'd have barbecue back and forth. And we just talk and, and about baseball and barbecue. And, you know, Len goes, or I go, you know, this could be a podcast. We just record it and put it out there, see what happens. And lo and behold, we did. And we, you know, we got a, we, we had a couple of road bumps, you know, trying to find our way. Uh, we had some features, but, you know, it turned out that now we're getting interviews with baseball people and barbecue people, you guys. Yeah, I agree. We, we have had some great guests, but I think tonight is the pinnacle. I think you guys, <laughs> this is it. Jeff? We can't do any better. This is it. We stop. So, you know, Jeff and, Jeff and I were, we, were talking all the time and saying this would make a good podcast. We were arrogant enough to think that our baseball talk and, and barbecue thrown in, of course, people would actually want to listen to it. I mean, <laughs> and and we, I think we were the last schmucks that didn't have a podcast. Right. We like, Everybody has a podcast. You know, well, can you listen to our podcast? Say, well, if you can listen to my podcast, <laughs> everybody. Well, it's like it's like when I first started writing poetry, and and you went to give a poetry read, you were just reading to other poets because, <laughs> and they were hoping you would come to their reading because oh, their mother-in-law didn't want to come anymore. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I got to ask you guys, in, in this song, there's a couple of things. Red Hots. Now, you show hot dogs each time. Red Hots, is that a hot dog in Canada? Or is that... I thought else? it was a hot dog in the States. But to me, you know, doesn't the guy go up and down the aisles going, get your Red Hots and cold beer? No, no. I don't... Red Hots, in, in, in here, Red Hots, they were this candy. They were like these... I don't think they right, sell them right, anymore. Okay. They were this little candy, and they, and they were actually, you know, hot when you ate them. But you call hot dogs, yeah, we call them frankfurters, yep. hot dogs. Wieners. Um, yeah. Right. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I thought that, that was, uh, you know, sort of a universal vernacular for, uh, for a hot dog. It was a red hot. Maybe that's, that's okay. Canadian. Maybe it's a Canadian thing. Maybe. Yeah. Speaking of Canadian. And then I got to ask you, you have the words, I'm not going to try and sing it, but playing hooky opening day. Granny and Gramps alive the next day. Right. What is that? <laughs> That's oh, oh, well, I thought that was a universal phenomenon. That opening day, when I was a kid, your Bubby and Zeta died because your father took you to the baseball game. And the excuse was he uh, took you out of school because your grandmother or your grandfather had died. And then, <laughs> but that... Didn't you have that in the States, opening day? Yeah. Oh, we do have opening day, but but hopefully nobody dies. No, but that was the whole point. That was the one. And uh, we used it all the time. Now, I'm sure we got it from the Americans. You mean we invented hooky on opening day? (laughs) Oh, no, no. That's universal. (laughs) That's universal. Yeah, well, that's what that line was about. We played hooky on opening day, and God bless us. God bless them. They were alive the next day. <laughs> so, obviously, both baseball fans. What what part of Canada are you in, and what's your favorite baseball team up there? Is it well? I guess it's the Blue Jays now. I'm thinking Montreal is. Uh, I know that they might come back. I guess you're Blue Jays fans. They might. Yeah. They so might. we're we're in London, Ontario. Well, I'm in London, and Shell lives just outside of London in a little town called Kamoka. And so London's about well, it would be pretty much halfway between. Uh, Detroit and Toronto, and uh, actually a lot of people in London are Detroit Detroit fans. I'm certainly a Blue Jays fan. I actually spent some of my uh, uh, childhood in Toronto, and I actually remember the watching on TV the very first Blue Jays game. I think that was 1977. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how old. I was there too. Well, I would have been 12, I think, and that was like it was snowing. There was snow on the ground at the old Exhibition Stadium. I think the Jays won that game, if I recall. They won it, and Doug Alt hit two home runs. Well, there you go. Um, Do you remember that? I have a vague recollection of that. There that was, was his claim to fame, and that was his last season. Yeah. He was like, well, you had a show on the other, the other week about guys that were up for a cup of coffee. Ah, uh, yes. And the book. And, and, uh, and this by, chap, uh, right. Doug Alt, he came down from a baseball league, don't, don't laugh when I tell you this, from Alaska. And he came and played an opening day and hit two home runs and was basically never heard from again. Yeah, that's right. So that, I had that. Baseball is full of stories like that. Yeah. As a matter of fact, we just had we just spoke to um, uh, Brett Topel, who is an author, and he has a, a video thing, BT Talks Baseball. And one of his guests, and Jeff, please say the guy's name. I cannot say his name. 
Frank Conalano. <laughs> hey, that's close. <laughs> yeah, that's he a actually, hard one. He played I cannot say that. and went six for six during one game. Right? Wow. Frank really? Adano. Yeah. Yeah. Played for the played for your Blue Jays. Wow. So now, Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum. Have you guys been there? Yes. I uh, I was actually the opening act when it opened ninety seven. I was the guest speaker, if you can believe it. Wow, that's great. Dave and I went back there about six months ago, maybe less, to do some of the filming for the actual song, Baseball Always Brings You Home. And, and I, I've gone back there a couple of times as an invitee and other times just, you know, just to go for the ceremonies. But it, it's quite nice. It's a small town. The uh, Baseball Hall of Fame, they've expanded it quite nicely. It's a pleasant small town experience, and that's what baseball is really all about. You know that that sort of that big game in the small town. Right. That's the uh, I've always been attracted to it be, be, because of that. When I go to a baseball game, to me it's like a neighborhood picnic. You know, they lay out the grass as if it's it's a mat, <laughs> and you know everybody. And if you don't know them, you're friendly with them. And even if the guy's rooting for the other team, there's this camaraderie and when it breaks up, you go home. Baseball always brings you home. Dave, I, I can't profess to be a proficient in guitars, but you have a picture. I think, well, you have, you have Dave Dresser music on Facebook, and right. I think you're holding a red guitar, an electric guitar. I asked my son, I said, what, what is that? He said, it's a Gibson. Are you like other musicians where you have multiple guitars? Yeah, I have to confess, I'm guilty as charged. <laughs> and actually, <laughs> your son is almost right. It, it's very close to being a Gibson, but it's actually it's a, actually a company called Callings, which are made in uh, in Austin, Texas. Oh. It's, it's kind of a copy of a Gibson ES335. Does your son play guitar? Yes, he does. Yeah, yes. well, I could easily see why someone would make that uh, make that connection that it's a Gibson. And it looks very much like a Gibson uh, guitar. But, yeah, I, I've got a lot of guitars. I've got banjos. I've got acoustic instruments. Basically, all kinds of stringed instruments. And I, I love them all. I wish I could had time to play them all. But, you know, I, that's really my, uh, my, my main instrument. When you hear the, the song that I've recorded, a lot of it you'll hear, like, drums and, and piano and stuff like that. I'm not really a player of those instruments, so I do a lot of that with, uh, with kind of programming. Right. But, uh, you know, all of the, the – the, uh, the, the, there's a little bit of banjo on that tune, so you hear me playing the banjo. And, uh, so, yeah, I dabble in all that kind of stuff and, and just love it. So. But tell Thanks. your son to get a day job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell him. Well, you know, he was actually – this podcast doesn't overly excite him. But when I told him that Dave was going to be on, that he was a musician, that made him, he was like, oh, really? <laughs> was, he got excited. Well, tell him, tell him uh, to check out Collings Guitars. He'll, uh, he'll like Collings. Collings Guitars. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We'll tell him. Is he into baseball at all? He was when he was younger. Yeah. But yeah. Not, not now. No, my son's the reason- one in baseball. Right. The reason I the reason I really love baseball for kids is it's because it's the only team sport where it's not a ball or a projectile that scores. Think about it. In this crazy world 
where the individual's been lost and it, it's competitive and impersonal, it's the individual that scores, not a puck or a football or a ball. Right. And, and how does he score? Not by overcoming territory. He scores by the most beautiful thing of all. He comes home. And the best part of it, he comes safely home. Now, no other sport can compete with that beautiful aspect of life, especially in this day and age. That is, that's, that's great imagery there. I mean, that, that, I, I love that. Yeah. And that, that's where the title of the song comes from. Right. Baseball always brings you home, whether you're playing it or you're watching it, or even if when you're all alone, it, 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 there's something about it that is pastoral. There's an ideal to it. And everybody gets a chance to play. There's, there's an order to it. You can play hockey or basketball, and if they don't call your, your number in football, you can go a whole game with nothing. But in baseball, everybody gets a shot. There's, it's this democratic aspect of the game called the batting order. And the, the manager and the, and the coaches, they're dressed exactly the way you are. They're not walking up and down the sidelines like Wall Street bankers, which some <laughs> of them are, I guess. But, no, I think it's, 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 it's the best game for kids. Soccer's good, too. Don't get me wrong, but I, I grew up with baseball. Right. Well, now, in Canada, in Canada, I'm going to guess, or I think it is still, hockey is number one sport. Is that Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's okay. Tell me where in the other sports, and, well, I know you have Canadian League football, but you have basketball, of course, and, I mean, you have all the sports. How has baseball rank? Is it has baseball gained in popularity or since the Expos left? Where does it fit in? Well, it's certainly not as big as it was when the Expos and the Blue Jays were here. Now, it, its apex was 92 and 93 when they won back-to-back -back World Series. But in New York, you don't know that, do you? Uh, <laughs> you know that. <laughs> oh, do you? I remember Joe Carter around those bases. Uh. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of our players went on to, not a lot, but a few went on to play for the Mets yeah. after that was over. I believe John Olerud John was the Met. I think it was both right. a Yankee and a Met. Right. Yeah. So did Robbie Alomar play for the Mets, too, at Which, some point? Who? Robbie Alomar. Yes. Robbie yeah, Alomar did. Carlos Delgado. Well, though. Right, Carlos Delgado. So some right. of our yes. best. Yeah. You know, didn't we, we got them ready for you. We got David Cohn from the Mets, didn't That's we? That's true. Yeah, that was the, yeah, that was the other <laughs> yes. way around. Yeah. And Robbie Alomar was, wasn't good for the Mets, believe not. Believe right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he was, that was towards the end of his... Yeah. There was yeah. one well, wonderful what, line. Yeah. That's, there was one ahead. wonderful line written about him the first couple of years he was here. There's a female sports writer who said of Robbie Alomar, half the women in this country want to be Robbie Alomar's mother. Uh -huh. The other half have other ideas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, guys, what are some of your favorite baseball memories, Dave? Well, the World Series w wins, I mean, those were amazing. And actually, we had a little sniff at maybe a bit better success. I guess about 2015, I, I, the, the whole uh, – you know, drama with uh, Batista, you know, doing the bat flip and all that. I'm sure everybody else hated uh, the Blue Jays and <laughs> hated him. I mean, it was kind of cheeky. There's no doubt about that. But 
being a Blue Jays fan, I mean, it was uh, it was something else. And I guess similar to what happened with the Raptors, you know, last year, I, because we only have one baseball team in Canada, they really are our national team uh, now that the Expos are gone. So, I mean, there was a lot of excitement, uh, you know, during during those couple of years where they were, uh, you know, went pretty far. But yeah, I, I remember. I think it was was uh, Blue Jays. I guess was Atlanta. I think that they beat. And uh, I remember the Atlanta fans doing the the old Tom. Oh, the Tom. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, Fonda. Uh, yeah, come on, know. Jeff. Yeah. Uh, 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 you got it. Yeah. And then it was sweet when I think Alomar hit a home run and he comes around, you know, he's, he's and he did the tomahawk. Right? He did right the there. tomahawk chop, right? I think right there in Atlanta. And, you know, those are, those are some fun memories, but unfortunately we haven't had as much to cheer about lately with the Blue Jays. They're, <laughs> they're doing one of those rebuilds again. And uh, right, just, yeah. yeah, they got a few young players that have shown some promise, but uh, I think they're a ways out still. So, May have to be patient still for a, for a while. I just can't wait for baseball to come back. I mean, it's sad sitting here and you know we should be watching baseball and excited about it. It's just not happening, and that's, uh, that's yeah. When you cool. watch the reruns, the results don't change, so right. that's not fun. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing it's here in New York. We have the the, the Mets channel and the Yankees channel, and they never lose. They're always winning. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. <laughs> <laughs> So, Shell, what yeah. are your favorite, favorite memories? Obviously, the World Series and, and Joe Carter. Well, actually, yeah. I'll tell you, and I, I'm uh, opening day, I, I remember that forever. And World Series, yes. But actually, I have another memory, and here I'll go against the grain. I loved the Bautista backflip. That, that spoke to me. I thought it was great sportsmanship, by the way, as opposed to poor sportsmanship. He was just showing he didn't hurt anybody. But he was just showing honest to God emotion. I thought that was fair in terms of the uh, the stress of the of that moment. And the other favorite time is what well, it was. Yeah, at, at the World Series. But my other favorite time was after they won the two consecutive World Series. Dahlia, my wife, and I we went down to uh, spring training the following year. So that would have been '94. And the two-time world champs. And if you've ever been to spring training, it's it's. It's a wonderful experience. Everybody's loosey-goosey. The veterans are going to make the team most of the time. And you see all these young pups, you know, really running the, their butts off. And uh, the practice, you go out there early at the practice diamonds and you see guys that might make it a couple of years later. And, you know, the, the fellows that have been there for a million years that aren't going to make it this year. And you get to talk to everybody. Everybody's accessible to you. And it's, it's a combination of stress and casual. And, I, I really remembered that, that spring training. Uh, well, actually, so that we're was... running low on time here. Look, one of our favorite baseball players played in Montreal for a couple of years, and that's Rusty Staub. Could you right. tell me about your memory of Rusty Staub? Because I know he really ingrained himself when he went to uh, Montreal. He uh, spoke the language. He, you know, he fit in with the fans. So could you tell us anything about Rusty? Well, I, I, can, I, I actually met him. That spring training, I guess, 67, it was a 67 or 68, Dahlia and I actually went down to Florida and we saw their first spring training and I actually saw him. I knew, you knew he was going to be something special, just the way he interacted with the fans. He made himself accessible. And I think the greatest tribute to him from Montreal is they gave him a French name, Le Grand Orange. Right. 
you know, they, they gave him his, his own identity rather than adopting what he came with. I can't think of another, certainly in hockey there, there would be French Canadian names, but I can't think of another baseball player who had a uh, French Canadian name. So he was a favorite for sure. Dave, do you remember uh, Rusty? Uh, you know what? I might have been after it, your time. Yeah, before my time, yeah. And actually, it's a long story, but I actually grew up in Indonesia. Didn't actually come really to, to start living in Canada until I was really around that age of 12 or so. And so I missed out on baseball up until about that point in time. But, uh, yeah, the, uh, the Expos were still going – you know, in the early days, uh, but uh, yeah, Rusty Staub. I, I remember the name, but a little bit, uh, a little bit before I started paying attention to baseball. You know who I really liked on the Expos? Ellis Valentine. Oh yeah, remember, uh, remember, yeah. he had a rifle for an arm. I just yeah. remember that. And then, and then he came to the Mets. Actually, I liked him when he was with Montreal. Just remember my him. favorite. My favorite was Pedro Martinez. Oh yeah. He was full of fire, and he, was, he wasn't that big, so I, I identified with him. And he had a nice personality. He was warm to the fans. How do you think Toronto's going to do this year? If, if we have a season, year. hopefully we have a season, but how do they look? Well, not, not, not to use the pun, but right now they're in the basement. <laughs> All of us are in the basement waiting to get out. You know, I think anybody who gets – to play that first game is a winner automatically. We're just waiting for it so desperately. Just just staying at home and indoors is it's it's not very good. Do you, okay, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, I I don't know if what's gonna happen. I mean, who knows? This this whole thing is how far how far do you think we get before they say you know scratch? I don't even, they, you know, it's too negative. Forget it. Forget I asked that. Yeah, I'm you don't want to talk about scratch. I'm not going there. So, uh, no, the other thing that's, that's hanging over baseball, of course, is the scandal with the Astros. Oh, and yeah. how, when they come back, how that's going to play out. Or will it, ha will it be forgotten because people are so excited about getting back to baseball? Hard well, to say. Just today, didn't they announce some uh, penalties that I guess a lot of people thought weren't, weren't, Sufficient? Oh, for the Red Sox. Right. Yeah. What was it? The video guy? Yeah, the video uh, guy got just slammed. Yeah. Right. So, Dave, I see where, where the clock is up, up against us. Where can we find your music? You can find I got it right here. Dave oh, Dresser Music, one word, dot band camp, one word, band camp, like summer camp, one word, then dot com. And, and also on Facebook, you can find everything right. that Sean I have done together. Uh, just under Dave Dresser Music, so anybody who's interested. Or either of our names and then YouTube, then they can see videos. Yeah, I yeah. love that song. I love that song where um, it's it's like the Canadian. It, it just, you know, it's very patriotic. Oh, yeah. It starts out with the with the Native Americans in the canoe, I think. You, you know, oh, right, yeah. Yeah, Wave I really red like white. that You've one. seen that. Yeah. That's yeah. a great yeah. song that he wrote. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, that. You, Appreciate that. You guys are fantastic thank you for spreading the word in canada because it can't just be a coincidence that since you guys had your music on all of a sudden canadians are listening to our uh, podcast I, well, we're, well, that, that's we're pissing that, it a lot up here so we really you. appreciate your support it, it means a, a ton to us and thank uh, you we can't say thank you enough for for all the support and love the fact that you guys yeah. enjoy 
that's and that's the validation. Great. And we like, you know, we both like your show. So that's uh, thank you. That's great. I can't say I'm much on barbecue, but <laughs> <laughs> thank you for. And that's why I didn't even ask you any barbecue questions. I got to be honest, I'm a takeout kind of guy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> thank you both for joining us. We really appreciate it, and much success to you guys. Thank you. All right, okay, and to you too. Thanks for Dave Dresser and Shel Kukowski for coming on to our show. And that was a, a terrific interview. They, they really get along great. I mean, you can tell, just tell the camaraderie between them. Yeah, baseball always brings you home. I want to have them back on, so they have to write another song for us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to have them just you know, back on just to talk. But they'll get on a lot faster. Write us another song. <laughs> what, what a song. Really. They didn't write it for us. But I, but I feel like for our show, it really, it fits. Now they have to write a barbecue song. Yes. They can write a song that has baseball and barbecue in it. I mean, they have the hot dogs in the song, although they call those red hots, right? Right. But they have that in the song. But they could have a song with baseball and barbecue or a barbecue song, and then we could, we could mix them up. But guys, that's our challenge to you. And thanks for coming on. Yes. Thank you, guys. And now, Len, bring us home. Baseball Always Brings You Home by none other than Dave Dresser and Shel Krakowski. Sorry that we have to end the show, but glad that we get to end it with this song. Can't wait to talk to you guys again. Jeff, can't wait to speak to you again. See you soon. Okay, see you. <laughs>